0: Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, I want to dismiss uh, just kindergarten, first grade today. I got you. I got you. I I remember the stuff. Um, Kindergarten through first grade, um, if you want to head to the back. Um, And second through fifth grade. Who's in here today from second to fifth grade? My goodness. Even our kids don't have energy today. Um, Hey, guys. uh, I am super excited you're with us today because we are talking about prayer and uh we're talking about prayer and here's what's interesting kids um your parents myself us as adults we can learn from you on how to come to God and so today I believe we're all going to hear something today from God and so but full disclosure uh in a prayer series um nobody feels like um they're great at prayer is that fair to say Guys, all right, 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 all right. all right, all right. Listen, there we go. There we go. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, I know it was time change. I get it. It is dark outside, um, and uh we're a bit bit gloomy, and I and I do under and I have a lot of empathy for that. I do. Uh but I do want to say this too. Um uh this is the gathered church of God. You have been set free by the blood of Jesus. We're now free from death, from sin. We can live with abundant life today, right, church? So we can have a little life today. Now, I'm not being past aggressive. I just want us to be excited. Amen? Amen. That's it. Okay. And my voice cracked for you. There you go. <laughs> Golly, it's fun to gather, isn't it? Amen. So we started this series on prayer last week. Man, Reynolds did a great job, didn't he? He's not here today, but man, if you see him, text him. He blessed our heart last week. And you saw this thing during the response time, this thing that we've been begging God for, the leaders of this church, that we would respond to the word, amen? From the very beginning, Covenant Church, by the grace of God, has been a text-centered church. And that is a blessing from God. But here's the prayer, friends. That we wouldn't just be tech centered, we'd be spirit led, right? And so my prayer today is that this this thing God is doing, He keeps doing. He does it again. He does it more and more and more. But prayer's hard. And you're gonna hear that a lot throughout this series, just because it's true. And here's kind of two things, as I like really like searched my soul this week, I read this text over and over, I searched my soul, and there were two things that jumped out at prayer that's hard for me, that I, if I was a betting man, I would bet that it's hard for you as well. Here's the first thing, here's the problem, we focus more on producing than we do on praying. Our friend Paul Miller, great book, I'm going to quote him about 10 times today, and that's okay. He's a Christian. He taught me this. Says this American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy, say amen. Amen. We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless, as if we are wasting time. Every bone in our body screams, go to work. Money can do what prayer does. Getting closer at home now, isn't it? And it's quicker, it's less time consuming. Our trust in ourselves and our talents makes us structurally independent of God as a result exhortations to pray just don't stick independence from God is death to the soul listen my focus so many times is what I can produce what I can produce through my planning I love to plan what I can produce through my work, what I can physically do, what I can produce through the money that I earn from working. I can do all these things. In a sense, I want to work so hard that I become independent of God. I become not needy of God. And it's in our running away from neediness that we run to anxiety. Therefore, we subtly believe that we are good without God. It's very subtle, but this drift happens. It's because we focus more on producing than we do on praying. But here's my question. Here's the flip side of that. And the second part of my problem with prayer is what happens when my producing, when my working, when my money's not quite enough? When we're denied the loan, Right When you lose the job, when you don't get the raise, when the policies change, the rates go up, the market goes down. When there's a pandemic and all of our producing and working and earning and planning are shown for what they are, what do we do? Our next problem, we fill the noise with playing instead of praying. And yes, it rhymes, I understand that. Miller says this, When we aren't working, we are used to being entertained. Television, internet, video games, cell phones make free time as busy as work. When we do slow down, we slip into a stupor. Exhausted by the pace of life, we veg out in front of a screen with earplugs. This is is what we do, don't we? We go from producing to playing, back and forth. And I think this is one of the biggest tragedies of the pandemic. God literally sent this thing that caused all this ruckus. And instead of us coming back to God in prayer, we binge the Tiger King. And it sounds ridiculous, but if you think if you step back for a moment, you can see the schemes of the enemy, can't you? That suddenly say, just work. If you accomplish this, you'll be this. By working, you'll gain your identity. And we work, and we work, and we're fake, and we're fake, and then we fail. And when we fail, what do we do? We don't run to our Father. We run to just like, just make it go away. Make the pain stop. Make the exhaustion stop. And we just veg out. That's my prayer today, is that we see these schemes. That we... And and not in a shameful way because um, shame gets us nowhere, but I do hope in a realistic way that we see this pattern that happens over and over and over and over again. And we see these schemes and this really hit home for me these really past few months. uh, My daughter, uh, Hattie Jane Wood, uh, I don't want to say her last name for her, but she has has special needs and uh, full disclosure, and uh, do not judge us. And if you do, that's between you and God. She spends way too much time on the iPad. Not like in a cute way, but like in a scary kind of way. Like, she's just, like, we're tired. Like, here's the iPad. Please, please, just just go, just just chill for a minute. Please take it. Oh, that iPad died. Here's another one. Take this one. Please, just take it. Please. Um, my boys know it's true right there, don't they? Um, and so, and here's the deal, is... This really convicted me. It convicts me, not, not past tense. Um, it's an ongoing tense. It, it convicts me. But a few weeks, months ago, I can't remember. I was like, "This has got to change. Like we've got to, we've got to do something." And so I went right into planning mode. Okay. We're going to have these schedules right here, and then we're going to do this right here, and then we're going to, I'm going to do this right here. I'm going to buy this thing right here. I'm going to figure this out right here, and, and have all, I'm doing all this work. I've got to do this. Not one time did I pray because in my mind, oh, this is too small for God, right? This is just kind of my little thing. I'm going to create myself. And at that moment, I became independent of God in an area of my life. And I worked, and I worked, and guess what, I go home at 5.30 from work, and I was tired. And guess what happened? Here you go, Hattie, here's the iPad. And I said, the iPad, what happens? The enemy comes in. Oh, you're a failure as a father. You're a failure as a father. The shame begins, well, I've already failed. Netflix time, and I numb. And for many of us, And too many times in my life, that is the cycle and the pattern of our lives. Is that not true? So here's the question I wanna answer today is how do we get out of this cycle? How do we as the church promised abundant life get out? Because here's what's happened. We're promised abundant life. We're filled with the spirit of God, yet we're still we still have sin, and we're still in a world full of sin. And we suddenly find ourselves drifting, thinking we're neutral. We're not neutral. We're drifting towards darkness, and our souls are tired. Our souls are anxious. Our souls are worn out. But you plant what you want to grow. So we turn to Luke 11. Luke 11. Sam just read this. I'll read it again. And if, you have, if you're familiar with the church at all, you've heard uh, the Lord's Prayer. It's on TV shows. It's on T-shirts. It's this beautiful prayer. And we're in the version in Luke today. It's a little more paraphrased in Luke versus Matthew where he is very detailed uh, with his words. But Luke says this in verse 1. He was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, just for, let's stop for a second. We see right off that something's different, right? When you're with somebody for a long time, you get used to things they do over and over and over again, right? I'll never forget uh, when I, I married Tracy and we'd have a holiday or family events, like her family enjoyed being around each other. And would linger and would have fun, and and I had to ask her, "Why are y'all doing this?" Because I was around her enough in her family that something was different there, and I want to ask, "Why why are y'all why are y'all happy? It's Thanksgiving. We should be mad right now." um, But there was this joy that I saw, and and that's true here with the disciples as they see their their rabbi, their master, that he's doing something different here, and he says, "Lord." Teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, teach us to pray. And here is something that blows my mind as I think about this. Jesus taught the disciples to pray. We never see in scripture he teach them how to preach. These are the men who started his church. I want us to see the centrality, the importance, almost the singular power and nature of prayer. That he had three years with these 11 men to pour himself into them so that when he left, they would carry the banner of the kingdom of God. And he never bothered to teach them how to walk through scripture and teach verse by verse. But he taught them, if you know nothing else, pray. Because I think, okay, if we had eleven church planters here and said, okay, for the next three years, Jason, that we want to learn from you and Luke on how to plant a church, me and Luke, in our foolishness, we go get a whiteboard and create a syllabus for three years with fifteen things for these church planters to do. Jesus's whiteboard had one thing, church, and that was pray like this. Do not underestimate the power of abiding prayer and the lives of the people of God. If we have prayer and nothing else, we can conquer the world for the kingdom of God. When his followers said to him, teach us to pray, he wasn't responding to a bunch of novices. Prayer was the order of the life of a Jewish person. It happens to today. They were they were born. So if they weren't, if they were used to prayer, what prompted this question to teach us to pray? I think here is the key of why they asked this question. They noticed something different. He had a sense of familiarity with God, a sense of connection in union with God, that they saw that in the life of their rabbi, they said, we want that. We want that. Teach us how to have that kind of union, communion with God. Because here this church, on the echo of all of our souls, we desperately want our Abba, don't we? We want our Father. We know that we're made for something more. But we don't know how. Jesus prayed differently you see this importance in his life but the question we have to unpack is this is Jesus the son of God why was this so important why was why was he focused so much on prayer here's why it was essential to his relationship and his resources his time with God his prayer with God was essential to his resources and relationship John five nineteen. He says this, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own. Anything. He has no power, no resources, no direction, anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. There's this childlike nature, isn't it, to Jesus. He's doing what all kids do. They mimic their father. It's what kids do. Listen, when Jesus tells his followers to become like little children, he isn't telling them anything he hasn't already done himself. He comes to the father with this childlike faith that he needs this relationship and resource from the father. John 15, abide in me. We abide in him when he tells us that apart from Christ we can do nothing. He, hear this. This is incredible. He is inviting us into His life of dependence with the Holy Father. Remember that kid in high school that wasn't invited to things? At Southwood High School, go Cowboys! Anybody here? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Should have been a cowboy, guys. And there is this thing called the pit. And the cool kids ate there. Heather, you ate there, didn't you? You're in the pit, weren't you? And that's right. I was not in the pit. I was not invited in. I guess maybe I was too cool. That's what it is, right? <laughs> Thank you back there. Whoever said probably, um, I'll take it probably today. Um, but here, here's the deal: is we have this longing to be invited in. And Jesus in John 15 is inviting us into the most VIP eternal relationship eternal club the world has ever seen and this club friends is an inviting club this this club is a world changing club this club full of love and peace and patience and mercy and kindness When Jesus tells us to have this childlike faith or, or to believe, he isn't asking us to like work up spiritual energy, to like try to figure this out. He's telling us to realize, to, to, to understand, to think like him, that we simply don't have the resources to do life. Hear this, church, hear this today in love. We don't have the resources to do life. Let me rephrase this. We don't have the resources to do abundant life. I think it's clear we have the resources to do American life, don't we? We have, let's call a spade a spade. We have the resources to get a mortgage many times, to, to get a car, to have vacation. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not central. They're not abundant. When you know, when, you, when we finally realize like Jesus did that we can't do life on our own, then prayer makes the most sense of anything in the world. It's like being sick and and you're trying to find medicine after medicine after medicine. And finally, you find the stuff, right, that, that, that heals your illness. And the next time you're sick, you know, I need this stuff right here. When we realize that our resources, that our intellect is not enough, the most logical thing we can do is turn to God in prayer. All these things point to this. Jesus' prayer was also about his relationship with the Father. Miller says this, you don't create intimacy. You make room for it. This is true whether you're talking about your spouse, your friend, or God. You need space to be together. Hear this, church. Efficiency, multitasking, and busyness all kill intimacy you want to get on my nerves take me to lunch Play on your phone the whole time right it kills intimacy in short you can't get to know God on the fly if Jesus Christ himself had to pull away from people and noise in order to pray then it makes sense that we need to as well so here's what this means for us here's the big thought today we can't go home yet but we're getting there here's the thought prayer must become our central resource and relationship it must become central church you know this is why we love worship gatherings you understand that it's one of the few spaces and it's getting smaller and smaller if we go past certain time you start looking at us weird but it's one of the few spaces in our culture still where we come in here and our phones are kind of put away our plans are kind of put away and we focus on the father and you feel this sense of you feel a sense that you were loved don't you You feel a sense through the spirit of God that you're empowered for something more. It's because for an hour, we get off the treadmill. For an hour, we find a hiding spot. Even in a gym, we find this hiding spot to simply be with him. In a sense, the Christian finds oxygen. But I'll tell you, Christian, I'll tell you, church, An hour a week is woefully insufficient oxygen and bread of life to live abundant life. It's woefully insufficient. Our souls are tired. My my soul is tired. And we do this thing, I do this thing, and it's spring break week. And so we all, listen, uh, school, school, I'm married to a teacher. And and the school year, and all, all of our educators, God bless you. Um, God, God bless you. I, I mean that with all my heart because you love many times the unlovable, amen? And you're tired and I mean no shame by saying it's wrong to be tired. But there is this sense that we live in this perpetual soul tiredness. And I lie to myself and say, well, this next season is going to be better. If I just if I just get to summer, if I can just get there. But, but I'm going to just, you know, be a loving friend. I told myself this week, I'm going to tell you now. Hear this. Life is never going to slow down. Hard circumstances here this church will always be there. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be realistic. But hear this. Jesus did not leave us alone. We just have to create space to be with him. And when we discover how to be with him, we can say, come what may. Because I I have my heavenly father with me. Then we're the apostle Paul. Who's in jail for preaching the gospel and he is singing out praises to God because his focus is somewhere else. It's not on his circumstances. We stop looking to the lesser resources of money, our jobs, our skills, our dependence, because those things leave us strung out and tired. They are woefully insufficient. We stop looking to the lesser relationships of your spouse of fear of man, uh, of our kids, because those things make terrible saviors, friend. So just, just for a moment, you don't have to raise your hand, but just do an audit. D- do an audit of where do you really spend like the, the sweet spot of your time? What is your hope if a resource was taken away? Where would you turn? How would you feel? What is that check in your spirit like? Even right now, do that resource. Every year as a church, you know, me and Luke and our team, we kind of do this. We do this kind of end of year audit. And there was one thing very clear to me and Luke for this 2023 season is that this was the year of prayer that we were praying to see our church. We just saw in this audit that too many times we as leaders, sorry, Luke, I'm calling you out too. Um, we as leaders, and I think we as a church, we depend too much on the flesh and blood things that we see and too less on the spirit things that we cannot see. And that our hope was to see that shift in our faith family. And that's how this prayer series was born. In in fact, uh, on March 31st, we're having 24 hours of prayer. And here's why I mentioned that, because in in my spirit, I believe that this night, and Luke will give you details on this later, I'm not doing that right now, but on this night, we could see this kind of milestone shift in our church away from things that we can see and to the unseen. And that God could do some above and beyond kind of things. But, you know, you think about 24 hours of prayer, that's a, that's a lot of prayer. How do we even do how, how do we even pray? What does that even look like? Luke 11. We get it right from Jesus right here himself. Go to verse 2. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Or, or Father, you might know this, hallowed be your name. The first here is we must learn to adore the Father King. Adore the Father King. And he, I lo- he, he, what you see here is almost this like two-step, I'm not gonna dance, this dance of adoration that you see all throughout Scripture. And it's these two pictures. It's the love of the Father, And the ruling of a king. It's these two things woven all throughout scripture that lead us to worship. And in this room, I love this, kind of how God has wired you. You drift towards one or the other. Some of us, oh, holy father accepts my sins and forgives me. I love that father. But the king who lords, who is holy, who is set apart, I'm not sure about that. But some of us like, ugh, that emotional father stuff. Give me the structure, the might, the sovereignty, the holiness of King Jesus, right? But if we take one without the other, we have functional heresy. But if we have the father and the king. We have a savior that we can't fully understand, but we can fully worship. Right, church? The father king. He is the father who loves deeper than you can imagine. To my friends in the room with issues with their earthly father, we have a club on Thursdays. Come talk to us. But in all seriousness, I know this is so hard to kind of separate the earthly nature of the father versus our heavenly father. This is why the scriptures are so important. And Paul exhorts the church to renew your mind with the truth of scripture. Here's why. Because the world and all the trauma of the world comes for the mind of God's people. And we desperately need the word of God to renew our mind to the truth that our father in heaven is always pursuing his children. He's never giving up on his children. He loves his children. He died for his children. He saved his children. He rescued his children. We we desperately need that truth to renew our minds, church. We see this dance. This This is why scripture intake is desperately important. Most days when I go to the scriptures, I want to see the father of the king. I need both, right? I need to be reminded that I am the beloved. The Father loves me. I need to know the King will take care of me. These truths feed our abiding prayer. That's why great songs of worship lead us to great adoring prayer because these songs are these two things, the love of the Father and the holiness of the king. But in this little dance that we have of adoration, let's start with how we come to him as our father. What this really means is that we come to him as children. This is why kids in the room today, that we can learn from you on how to come to the father. See, Jesus changed this. The traditional hebrew prayers they did say father it was a word that was a much more distant use but his word was abba which is the word that only kids said to their father was this word abba and it was this picture of coming to him like a child i mentioned my daughter uh, hattie a few minutes ago and i think the gift of children especially special need children is they have this unique gift to teach us childlike faith. Because when Hattie does things, we cheer her on. Even things that like aren't impressive, we cheer her on. And she has just come, so a few years ago, this is during the pandemic, um, me and Tracy committed the sin of sleeping 30 minutes later. And my beautiful, uh, illustrious daughter found a Sharpie and at school, she was learning how to write the letter H. And I will tell you, she can write that letter very well. And um, she wrote, she, we were asleep, and she got the Sharpie, full disclosure, you know, got the Sharpie, and she wrote about 47 H's on the, well more than that, on the back of our couch. But, but, but hear this church, Hattie was so proud of herself. She ran and she woke us up like it was Christmas morning and said, look what I did. Daddy, look. Daddy, come here. Not a sense of shame, not a sense of embarrassment, just childlike joy coming to her father with what she's got. And church, there is this sense that we learn from friends like Hattie that we just have to be okay with coming with all of our mess. Because here is the foolishness of our pride. is that we think because we have better H's in our life, right? Than some people that we don't have to go to our father. Like, well, I, I'm good. I, I've got this. Or the other side is the shame that our H's just aren't very good. So we have to hide. We don't, we don't talk to him because he'd be embarrassed by us. The only way to come to God is by taking off the spiritual mask. To just simply come as you are. So I tell this here is to pray what you got. The foolishness of the American church, and if we're honest, many of us in this room not coming to God because we don't know how to pray, that's exactly the foundation of how we come to God in prayer. It's with Nothing. This is the tax collector in Luke 18 that Reynolds mentioned last week, right? We had the Pharisee who had these great, beautiful words and we had the simple, sinful, foolish tax collector beating his chest saying, have mercy on me. What is more childlike than that? In Luke 11, right below this, there's this great picture of a friend just bothering, asking, searching, knocking. It says here in verse eight, Because of his friend's shameless boldness. That is the recipe, the picture that Jesus says, Come to me like a child. This shameless boldness. This is that first step of the dance to come as a child. But the second step, the second step, your name to be honored as holy. You acknowledge that He is the King. You acknowledge that he is the Lord. We come to him like children to a father, but we acknowledge that he is the king, that he is different, he is sufficient, he is holy, he is in control. This is so beautiful, that he is above it all. Church, don't we need an above it all kind of God? Because I've got it all messed up down here. I need an above it all kind of God. This is Paul telling us to set our minds on things above Come as a child, yes, we come as a child, but we acknowledge who He is. It's this two-step dance of adoration, is how we enter the courts with praise. We come first by adoring, but we don't stay there. Next thing, we align with the right kingdom. We adore the Father King, but then we align with the right kingdom. What do we see here in verse in verse uh, two again? He says, Jason's kingdom. No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Okay. He says, the American church kingdom. No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. He says, your kingdom. The Father's kingdom. Listen, here's the problem is I drift, right? You don't get your car line. Over over time, it drifts away. I can fix it for you if you need me to. I'll get my wrench and my tools and three years, and I'll fix it. Um, the joke is, if you don't know me, I can't fix anything. And so... It's also funny when you explain your jokes. My wife says, and so <laughs> I'm in a good mood today, guys. And so, um, thank you, Heather. We drift to thinking the world is neutral. Makes sense. Here, here's how we drift: is the entire world is set up in this way that it's my kingdom come. It's my kingdom. If you infringe on my kingdom, we're going to fight. We're going to sue. We're going to argue. We're going to gossip because it's my kingdom. That is the entire narrative of our world. And just by living in this world, the car of life gets misaligned. And so every day we declare with our mouths, with our words, with our heart, your kingdom. Not mine, your kingdom. Neutral lives are centered around the self. This is the life of Jesus, right? At the garden, At the garden, he comes to the Father knowing the greatest pain, separation from the Father as he takes on our sin is coming. And he says, Father, please take this cup from me, yet your will be done. Because I'm here for your kingdom, for your word. This is Jesus' words, right? To take up your cross daily. To die to yourself every single day. Can we be honest about something? Death is painful. Death is painful. My friend uh, Ross, many of you know uh, Ross Githin, says this all the time pain is growth. Pain is growth. Pain is growth. I'll add one thing to it pain leads to freedom. Pain leads to freedom. Here's what I mean Daily deaths to my kingdom prevent my life based on my kingdom being a catastrophe. Daily death and surrender to Jesus means I live my life like this and this life right here, friends, is a free life. Because so I'm not beholden to anything except his goodness. Realignments, this alignment is how we can live free of worry because we're in his hands. We can realign because we know how the story ends, church. We will be with him Again. This is a realignment to reality, a realignment to safety, a realignment to his kingdom, your kingdom, Father. As we adore, as we align, last thing, it prepares us to ask. And we ask for the here and the now kingdom. Back to verse 2. Your name honored is holy. Your kingdom come. Come kingdom come we are praying God let your kingdom come in my life in our world because one day he is going to make all things new there'll be no more tears but the beauty of being a son a daughter ambassador of the king is that we get these breakthroughs these moments where the here and the now kingdom break through this world and we see glimpses through freedom of prediction, through loving your enemies, through giving away resources. We see the kingdom break through, but we must ask. It's these kingdom come prayers. And these prayers, friends, they're big. They are, save my wayward child, and and they're small. Help my child with with Down syndrome not be on her iPad. It's both those kinds of prayers that we come to our father. Luke eleven eight. 8, it's that shameless boldness, right? Or in Luke 18, it's that persistent widow that just keeps coming and coming after the father to give her justice. Listen, asking for the kingdom to come has this kind of trait. It has persistent desperation that we're just knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and here at this church God responds to our tears many times it's our tears that sow his kingdom coming here on earth and i know there's things there's big things and there's small things where you are where you desire for god's Kingdom to come and to reign and to make new and to change. Uh, In Paul Miller's book, he, he says this, he has this kind of method where he simply writes those things down and he writes a little verse to pray over those things to see God move. He just keeps praying and praying and praying till God makes those things happen. And maybe for us today, that's one of our steps that we just learn. To be childlike and bold and just write it down. If you need a new car for work, write it down. If, if you're just battling this sin over and over and over and over again, write it down and come to your Father. Pray over those things. There's this great story. Uh, there's this evangel- evangelist named D.L. Moody. This great man of God had this great ministry. And really his whole strategy was prayer. That is what he did. He was just a prayer and saw God move. And he had this, he had 100 names that he had written down that he prayed for every single day that God would save those 100 people. When he died, 96 of those people had come to faith. That's incredible, isn't it? 96%. But here's the scandal of of our Father. At his funeral, those last four showed up. At his funeral, those last four came to faith. Because God honors persistent, desperate prayers. And it's time for the church to stop hedging our bets and to simply come to our Father with what we've got, with what we've got prayer must become our central resource and relationship how do we do this adore align ask adore align ask and come to him so I have two steps Two steps that I want to put in front of us that I am praying that we take this week here's the first step, it's on the screen so just listen first one find your hiding spot find your hiding spot jesus withdrew the mountains some people have closets you have a car whatever you need to find your spots commit to your spots we have these cards that we passed out this 752 initiative and the first one is to pray for your family seven days a week can i tell you our prayer for this is that the rhythm and the habit of secret prayer and time with God becomes the most essential part, the most central part of your life. The greatest resource, the greatest time that you have in your life is that time with God. So first up, find your spots, commit to your spot. Second thing, adore, align, ask. Adore, align, ask. It's as simple as this. You come as a child, Tell him he's great. Say your kingdom come, and then ask what you got. Come like a child. Acknowledge the king. Say your kingdom come. Ask what you got. My prayer this week is that this, this that this kind of centering, abiding prayer would become the central. Practice the central thing of our faith family. But I do feel like there's like, a, we're a pretty churched group. Uh, Moses has been in church for a while and there's this elephant in the room. It's this, it's what do we do when we see this? Uh, we hear a talk like this. We desire this in our life, but it just feels like we're just too far gone. Like, like the habits of our life are too ingrained, right? Like this is just kind of, I'm 40, so I am at this point. I'm doing the best I can. I'm just too tired. Here's my encouragement. Remember and run to the cross. Remember and run to an empty grave. Because when we really set our mind and our hearts with just ch- like the fact that Jesus Christ came and he did die for all of my messed up inconsistencies and sins. But he also rose again and there was an empty tomb and everything changed. That reality has the power to break through the 40 years of ingrained religion in the life of people. The gospel is good news. The gospel does transform. Hear this. The gospel is the welcoming heart of God. God cheers when we come to him with our wobbly, jacked up, unsteady, stuttering prayers. He doesn't say, come to me all you have learned how to pray great prayers or concentrate whose minds don't wonder and I'll give you rest. No, he opens his arms to the needy children and says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wondering mind. Come messy, but come to him. And it can start today. It can start right now today that we begin this practice of abiding prayer in our lives. It becomes the central resource and relationship for our life. So here is how I want us to respond today. Because sometimes what gets us out of the funk of ingrained habits, ingrained sin, sin, and religion is this right here, is to simply remember. All throughout the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, they're always reminding each other of the Red Sea, aren't they? Well, I know it's I know it's bad right now. But remember when God parted the Red Sea? Remember when we were in slaves and, and, and God Took care of us and rescued us. Remember that? There is this beauty in remembering. And I'm just going to tell you, church, I talked to many of you, and over these past few weeks, months, this year, the stories of what God is doing in your life are Red Sea moments. And so as we close today, Miles and the band are going to come and um, they're going to play for us for a little while before they sing. And you were given this card right here, this little above and beyond testimony card. And I wanna invite you to take right no, time right now to remember, to remember what God has done in your life. Maybe it's this season or a season past. but what has God done to rescue you, redeem you, come after you, take time, and when you come for communion, just drop them off at the table or on this stage right here. Just drop your cards, drop your story down as this act of worship to Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Father, I just sense in this room a real sense of weariness. A sense that that we've heard some of this. We've tried some of this and it just... We just keep banging our heads against the wall. Father, will you remind us even right now how supernaturally patient you are with your children? And that you're inviting us because you've already turned towards us to take a step towards you. And all these steps will look different but Father I do ask this that we as a people desire sacrifice learn what it means to simply be with you in abiding prayer I believe through studying your scriptures through the practice of old saints through my own life father that this is an area that we are woefully missing that we're just accustomed to doing some good things but we do not know what it's like to have the center of our lives be walking with you and father that is what i ask for not that we feel shame from that father but we feel invitation from you to that lord and that we come with what we've got that we write down our story to remind us of what you have done. So, Father, do what only you can do. Father, our hands are open. Our resources are dried up. There's nothing left that we can do to do this, Father. We simply ask for you to move, for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom break through into this gym right now, Father. And that wayward sons and daughters would come back to you. That the tired would find strength. That the hopeless would find hope. That the people full of shame would find mercy and grace and love. Father, do what only you can do. You are infinitely good to us. We love you. We praise you. We do all this in your name. Amen. So now there's a time response. Take your cards. Write on your cards. Talk to God. We have prayer team in the back to pray with you. You come pray up here. Just respond to God. And when you're ready, respond through communion. where we're reminded that our father made the way for his kids. Where my stuff wasn't good enough, his blood was sufficient. When my body, full of sin and rebellion, his was broken so I could be free. We come to the table, to his supper. He invites us to dine with him. And we practice at his table abiding prayer as we come to our father, King I implore you in this God-given time and space to do work with God. Respond to him. Write your story. Drop it down. Come when you're ready.